everybody, this is Keach Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast, and this week I have with me our lead singer, Drew Womack. How you doing, Keith? Doing good, man. Yeah. Well, you know how I'm doing because we're on the road yeah, together. I, mean, you know? I just saw you just a few minutes Hanging out on the bus. Sound we just check. did sound check a little bit ago, <laughs> and I'm, I've been trying to get you to where you know I can talk to you on my podcast, but you know it's always too it's always on the bus or it's too noisy or we're bit we're working or, or right. you fly in and fly out sometimes yep. since you live in Austin. So it's been kind of tough to nail you down to get a good interview with you. But I've talked to Dean before and I've talked to Michael before and now it's your turn. So All right. welcome. Well thank you and for having me. You bet man. Thanks for talking to me. Um so I just want to talk first about you know, for those that don't know who you were before you were the singer for Lone Star, you were with a band called Sons of the Desert. That's right. We uh, started in 89, and um, I actually wasn't the original lead singer. Uh, Jim Beavers, who who is a big songwriter in Nashville. Oh, really? Jim Beavers? Yeah, okay. he, was, he was the original singer of Sons of the Desert, and uh, he quit to sell uh, Cadillacs, I think it was. He, he went to become a uh, car salesman, so I... Uh, audition for for them and got the got the gig. I did not know that. Yeah. I thought you sort of um, uh, you know, like started the whole thing. Now, you... now it was just a group of guys from uh, McLennan College there in Waco, Texas, and I'd known them because I was in the music uh, department as well. So and and uh, just I had the choice to uh, join a very prominent rock band or or Sons of the Desert, a country band, and I just always dug their sound and and what was going on in country music in the late 80s and early 90s and and it was uh i my wife then girlfriend uh she almost left me because i chose <laughs> to see <laughs> she wanted me to be <laughs> in that right man so what uh, what at what stage was sons of the desert at when you joined when jim beavers left and you joined were they did they have a deal did they, oh no 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 no. were they just a bar band no yeah they were just uh, weekend warriors just going out and but all young guys. I mean, we were all, I'd say, uh, uh, early twenties. Yeah. So um, we were in school all week, and then we would we would hit the uh, L calls and all the little dance, you know, uh, the what SPGSTs and and the uh, uh, VFWs. Pretty much where people just want to sit and drink, and they yeah. don't really care who's playing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but a lot we, of dancing was involved. Yeah, we've done a lot of those. Man. Yeah. Everybody has done that. Yeah. Everybody's been through that stage. You know, the L Lodge or the Whatever you, however you can play in front of people yeah. to start out with your band, like okay, we got this new band together. We need to like kind of like a paid rehearsal. Yeah, and you exactly. Go that. And yeah, we got a percentage of the door and hope for the best. Uh, well, that's yeah. cool, man. Yeah. So, um, Sons of the Desert, and uh, now I want to go back. We'll we'll come back to the Sons of the Desert in just a little bit. I just kind of want to introduce to people who you are, were, and what you did sort of before you became the awesome singer for Lone Star. Um. So starting out in your when you started out in school, let's say when when did you first pick up the guitar or sing or what what, what happened first? Was it guitar or vocals first? Uh, guitar, yeah. So I my oldest brother, he uh, got an acoustic for Christmas one year. I guess I was eleven, and uh, so my middle brother picked up guitar on that same guitar and and. We had an Eagle songbook that had the tablature in it, and we could see, uh, you know, how to play chords. We didn't have the internet back then, obviously, so yeah. we we were just. Uh, I had that one book and that guitar around, and you know, on the weekends, those guys would go out and, and with their girlfriends, and I would have 
the run of the uh, acoustic and so that's how I learned how to play guitar was was uh, just in a songbook really and, and yeah and then so I, I got to playing and then I played one time at church camp uh, our uh, director he, he brought his guitar and I played and the girls just dug it so i knew that's what i wanted to do <laughs> right. that's kind of i think that's probably how we all kind of yeah 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 uh, were inspired to first start playing yeah and then uh how i got to be a singer i sang background and all that stuff and and we put together a band when i was in uh, uh ninth grade and it was with my brother older brother and uh, one of our good friends growing up and he was the singer <clears throat> and we re- rehearsed for three days before our little 40 minute set, you know, and, uh, and he lost his voice. So I had, I just jumped in and sang all the and songs. And you knew all the lyrics. And yeah. Stuff. You have this amazing ability and like during every sound check, you'll, you just play, you know, before we actually are ready to go and all that, you're usually the first one there and you'll have your guitar on and you'll just start singing some songs. Cause you've been doing a solo thing for quite a while. Yeah. Like where just- yeah. And I, I always, I like to work up songs that I'm inspired by, uh, for just to keep my chops up, yeah. mainly, and the more I learn songs that I necessarily wouldn't have written it that way, you know, uh, it, every time I learn a song like that, it, it opens up my songwriting uh, world. You know, it just makes it your uh, muscles. It, it, yeah, it expands, so it uh, it helps helps me be creative still. So you're saying that when you listen to a song somebody else wrote and recorded and you're working it up or something, you think about your brain goes to, I wouldn't have written that line. I would have wrote this line. And that kind of makes you want to write. Yeah, more about uh, just the like the uh, guitar pattern or the chord progression or just something about it. And, and yeah, and, and, and lyric, lyrics too. I, I, I think, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s when we started, um, you know, music was a lot more literal. It, it, yeah. These days... Uh, you know, most of the hit songwriters right now are under the age of 25 and they're, you know, and they're writing just what they're feeling at the moment. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, I didn't like it at first, but now I'm starting to get used to it and starting to loosen up my, uh, my songwriting brain that, you, you know, I was taught to do it this one way. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. It's been a good exercise. Yeah. You know, one thing I really notice about, Okay, so like um, singers of famous bands, like uh, I, I don't want to pinpoint anybody, but like of of the age of like Rolling Stones or whatever, you know, the yeah. older the, the the senior class, you listen to some of their newer stuff, and it just doesn't ring the same as when they were twenty. You yeah. know, the the stuff that they write about, because and like you said, they're twenty years old and they're living, they're yeah. living what they're writing, and and their life is so different when you're twenty than when you're fifty or sixty. You know? Right. All right, for for the Stones, seventy. <laughs> seventy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, it's just you know, you if if you're not growing as a songwriter, you're going backwards. So right, that's yeah. it's just important to me to keep my chops up. It would almost be smart for those older guys to ask their grandchildren what they're going through and then write a song about. Yeah, that. there you go. <laughs> People will go, oh, okay, yeah, identify with that. So, um, so you started playing guitar and singing because you sort of were thrown into it. Yeah. You sort of were just taken over. Now, one thing's fascinating, like I was mentioning earlier, like when you're up on stage during soundcheck or whatever, and you just start thumbing through these songs, you have a catalog in your brain of songs. Like every time we do soundcheck, it's a different song. It's a different set of lyrics. How do you remember all that stuff? That's just crazy. It's, uh, well, it goes into a different part of your brain. So, uh, 
You is know, it visual? Do you see words or do you see phrases or something? No, it's it's all just in the back of my mind. I, I have no idea how it... Do you think ahead, like when you're singing, do you think of what the line is? Or does yeah. it just come out automatically? It just comes out. See, wow. Yeah, if you start thinking about it, that's when you mess up. Right, yeah. So, like when I joined Lone Star, I, I had to have that prompter just because knowing that the few thousand people in front of me know the lyrics better than I do. Right. <laughs> and I don't want to be that guy. So it was very important to me to make sure I had every line, every uh, verse in the right spot. And it's yeah. just... Can it, I tell him about the prompter? Can yeah. I, can I spill the beans? Please. Okay, so we have a, he has a teleprompter up there. And when we first got it, it was just a like a little flat screen that was up on a little stand or something, you know, it just kind of propped up there. So you had your monitor, your, your speaker, your, yeah. your audio monitor. And then right next to that was that thing. So I went in and I thought it'd be cool if we could make a monitor that just a box that, that mon- that, that TV monitor could fit into yep. that looked just like the other monitor. Cause a lot of times singers will have two monitors yep. side by side up in front. And so I made you a, I, yeah, I appreciate fun to that. Yeah. yeah, it looks good, too. And it just looks like a yeah. regular, you just look like you're looking down at your speaker. Right. So and I, I mean, I, I don't need it anymore, obviously, but, of course. I, but I, it's always there. Now I like it just it. has Star Wars memorabilia on yeah. there, doesn't it? <laughs> Ron Burgundy. He pops <laughs> oh, up a yeah. couple times. So, okay, so um, you were, you did that kind of through high school and all that. Like, when you got out of high school and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I got to think about a job i'm gonna think about was it right into music or did you do something else for a while and sort of slowly so i in uh, in my junior and senior year in san angelo i had uh, a trio that we we would do um we'd play around town and and uh and then we were able to get our our high school was so big that we had a uh, a music department and the teacher uh uh created this class for us basically he it was music theory and there were only five of us in it and they kept trying to close it down but we were like no and so kept I, signing I, up for it, it yeah so i was able to take two full years four semesters of music theory in high school which is unheard of mm-hmm. and uh, the last year i was in it i was the only student so he my thesis my uh, the, uh, my final paper was me he gave me a piece of music and I had to score it without, you know, any kind of electronic help or anything. I'd, I'd I play see. it on the piano and, and, and handwrite the score to the piece of music. So, Do you remember what the music was? Uh, yes, it was jo- uh, George Winston's December. Okay. Which is, uh, he's a classical piano player, but he's, he's, he's more, he goes into new age kind of, he's not, you know, but he writes all his pieces. Um, so I couldn't, you know, I guess I could have gone out and bought it, but I was sitting in the room. Didn't want to so, cheat, yeah. yeah. Couldn't. Well, that's cool, man. Um, yeah. So, so you got out of that. So you started just immediately right out of yeah, school. Yeah, so I knew started, I wanted what I wanted yeah. to do when I was 16. I graduated high school when I was 17, uh, left with a moped and $300, and that was it. Hey, there's All a song right there, yeah. Moped and $300. And I got to college. <laughs> Uh, and the first night I had the moped up in, on the porch and the manager came by and said, you can't have anything with gasoline up against the building. So I put it in a parking spot and it got stolen. The oh, first of course. Night I yeah. So the <clears throat> I had $300 then. <laughs> <laughs> and no moped. No moped. So I starved through college and, and made it by, you know, I, I just find odd jobs, but I was always in a band and then, um, and then, yeah, so I, played in a, a rock cover band for a while uh, through 
college, and we would just play the weekend This side. would have been the late 80s, right? This, this would have been 80, 88, 89. 88, 89. 90. Okay. And, then, uh, and then I quit that band and started – I was an opera major mm-hmm. in, in college. Opera major? Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> – I'm learning all kinds of stuff about you that I didn't know. So I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted a uh, four-year degree, and the school taught a, a commercial music program, but it was only a two-year, uh, and so I wanted uh, a transferable degree. So I went into classical, classical voice. So I'm glad I did because it taught me how to sing where I don't lose my voice. And uh, I gotcha. So I did my first UIL competition didn't know anything about anything all, all i knew is that my teacher um uh, gave me my professor gave me two arias to sing and i sing them and this is right after i got into uh <clears throat> into the classical voice pro- program and i score i can I, I think i was 26th out of 400 students competing wow. so and the only reason i didn't make the top 20 was one of the uh, uh, judges said that uh, one of the arias I sang uh, it was it was too advanced for a freshman. Really, wow. she said I sang it well, but it, she said it was too advanced for for a freshman. So it was my my professor's fault. Yeah, they should have <laughs> given you more marks instead of a less. Yeah. So anyway, I, I did that for uh, a while, and then I started singing with sons, and she came back to me, and we were practicing. And she said, I'm starting to hear twang in your arias. Uh-oh. And she said, you're going to have to decide because I think you could have a future mm-hmm. in, in voice and opera. And I was going. But the know, twang's got to go or you got to yeah. change just different so, style. And I said, and I, I thought about it for a day and I called her. I said, I'm, I'm going to keep singing country music. I'm so. keeping the twang. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It was, it was just, it was crazy. So that's, that's how sons, you well, know. Thank God. Cause I would never would have met you if you had, yeah. if you'd lost the twang. Yeah. You never would have gotten sons of the desert. Right. And, we wouldn't and then when we moved, when we started playing up in Dallas, that's when we, well, I knew uh, Britt, of course, from Waco and, and I mean, I've known Britt longer than you guys have. Yeah. I mean, and, and wow. then I met you second. I didn't know that you knew Britain in those early days. Yeah, before. I didn't yeah. Know so Sons and Santa Fe, we were kind of competing. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. Yeah, we that were two two of the bands in the scene. So that would have been '89. You were kindred spirits. Yes. Kindred bands. Yeah, I'm still good friends with all of them. Daryl Dodd and, and that's cool. Jeff McMahon and all those guys. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, what was I going to ask you? Um, so you were with. Um, did you do single stuff then, or was it always with a band? Always with always, the band. Always with the band. Always the only. The only time i ever when i stepped out and i saw okay we were playing i i went and saw sean colvin in concert just her and a guitar and she was probably one of the biggest inspirations in my career ever just because i saw what she created and and so i uh our drummer broke a drum head on the second song and i said i got it guys I'll just leave the stage. He's going to fix that. And I played two or three songs acoustic. And that's when I knew it was like, okay, I can do this solo or with I don't need band. no band. But I've always, been a, <laughs> I've always been a band guy. So even, even when um, Sony Epic uh, offered us a record deal, first time we came to Nashville, uh, they requested uh, – they wanted to sign me. They did sign mm-hmm. me. But I requested it be to keep the band. Right. So That was before – after I met you. So I met yeah, you yeah, up yeah. at the Benchmark, right? Yeah. 
And that was before all that, before yeah, you, way before deal. all that. Yeah. How long had you been with the band when, before you played at the benchmark when I met you? Uh, that would have been, um, <clears throat> three years, about sort three of, years, I, about I, three years after. Yeah. That. I joined in January of 90. So, and then that would have been early nineties, 94, maybe. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Um, you guys were, I was, this was after I was in Canyon. I had done my thing with Canyon and Canyon had, uh, well, the lead singer wanted to go solo and all that. And so he wanted to move to Nashville. I had not wanted to move to Nashville at that time. I wanted to stay in Dallas and I was in between bands sort of. Um, and I was helping this guy, our friend Rick, you know, mm -hmm. you know, Rick up at, that owned the benchmark up there. And I was helping him manage that club for uh, you know, about a year or so figuring out what I was going to do. And uh, that's when I met you yeah. guys. And they had, if I remember right, every Wednesday night or Thursday night or something like that. No, Thursday night was ladies' night. But every Wednesday night, if I remember right, Tuesday or Wednesday, middle of the week, they would let bands come in and play bad play for free, but to sort of audition to see, yeah. let's hear your set list, let's see what you got. And then if we like you, we'll book you, like we'll pay you to play on the weekend because yeah. it was this weekend bands. And you guys came in on a weekday and killed it, man. Oh, thanks, man. I was like, what are these guys doing auditioning? You guys... I mean, you guys were, you weren't audition material. You were like, we should have been just booking you. you know? Yeah, it was, that was the circuit. You know, we had uh, uh, Borrowed Money, Crystal Chandelier. Uh, we we just kind of followed uh, a couple of acts that we knew, uh, just how to get in with yeah. all of I mean, there was one, the Southern Junction, you yeah, know, out there in Rockwell. Yeah. And they, th the way they did it was they had a battle of the bands. And if you won, you right. got to play there. I and see, yeah. So we just I booked it, and I said, "Well, it's it, it, the uh, grand prize was a thousand bucks and uh, and uh, a trophy, and I still have that trophy. Last wow. time I played Rockwall, I brought the trophy and set it right next to it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Here, there's that thing right there. Yep. Okay, well that's cool. Yeah, I remember playing Rockwall. That was um, that was cool. That was a big place, like a big yeah. steak place there yeah. or something. Cook your own so steak. I remember they had the. The, the grill where they cooked the steaks right there. You could see it from the stage. You yeah. could see the flames going up in that place. Um, yeah, you always left smelling like cigarettes and steak. And steak. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we played. Uh, that's why I thought you were such a good fit for Lone Star because we all played the same places at the, yep. same, at the same time. And we were all like, you could have so easily have been the singer for Lone Star originally yeah. because we knew you and you knew us and – you know, just like uh, Richie had played with, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the band that he played with um, around the Dallas-Fort Worth area, just like we did. I was in Canyon, and we all played the same places, man. Yeah, we knew each crazy. other. And then we all eventually ended up going to Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> Which, it uh, sucks you in, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So when people say, oh, you guys, are you from Nashville or from Texas? Well, I say, no, we're from Texas. And it's really not that much of a coincidence that we're all from Texas and that we met in, or that we're in Nashville because there was um, a, a group of about maybe 20 or 25 or more of us that were from the Dallas, Fort Worth and Oklahoma yeah. area. Like Toby Keith yeah, was Toby. from Oklahoma, Garth and all, Easy the, money. all these people. Reba, she's from Oklahoma. All, a bunch, a bunch of Texas and Oklahomans migrated to nashville because that's where the music business yeah. is was and is still yeah. is yeah and that you know a large percentage of everyone that was signed was from oklahoma or texas yeah right all the people i knew when when we were coming up and got our record deal with with uh, rca bna yeah. which is part of rca um all the people we knew in town that had record deals or that were making records are from our area in yeah. dallas or fort worth or whatever yeah and they, you know the speculation is is that when the red dirt thing started taking off in texas 
had it all had to do with uh, how technology made it cheaper to record. So it was they had easier access to actually recording and creating their own material. And once that happened, and they stopped coming to Nashville, and they kind of closed themselves off to that zone. I see. That's uh, that's when there was such a shift in all the Georgia, Florida uh, oh, artists coming. Right. Out. So, I see what you're saying. So yeah. all the you know. All those artists in the, in the early last to 10, mid 2000s yes. when you could buy a Pro Tools rig for yeah. just a few thousand dollars. Yeah, so all these cats in in, uh, in Texas, I'm, I'm friends with most of them. Um, they, you know, they just decided we don't we don't need Nashville. So once that start, uh, you know, the the talent stopped coming to Nashville from Texas and Oklahoma, then the the eastern. Uh, states yeah it's that's that's who was signing in nashville it's, it's just so weird wow that's amazing okay so i want to i want to shift things to since this is designated drummer podcast <laughs> that's not only about drummers but uh, i wanted to ask you what was it about your drummer that when you first got with you know they were already a band when you joined them but what right. was it about that drummer that you sort of liked or that you or that uh that you guys were looking for as a band what was it made that drummer so we were kind of like spinal tap with with drummers we kind of went we kind of <laughs> went through them they kept spontaneously yeah, yeah. combusting combusting actually uh our first drummer uh he has a uh i don't even know what you call it it's not a gaggle or a, a hurt i guess it's a herd of camel he he was inspired by the treks they uh, used to do in the military when they imported a whole bunch of camels okay and he started rescuing camels and and now he does treks in uh, all over Texas. So this isn't a joke. This is real. This You're, is real. I'm, I'm not kidding. For the punchline. <laughs> so he came up. Uh, so, so we're playing. He's doing the camel thing now. But we were playing, and he was the first one to quit Sons. This was bet probably '93, and he said, "I'm moving to Nashville. Um, I got a gig with a guy named Trey Sackins." So he came up. Doug Baum was is his name, and uh, he came up and played with Trace for uh, a few years. And then decided uh, to move back to Texas and, and get into the camel business. The camel industry. <laughs> so Brian came in. Uh, Brian, who is, you know, he was a uh, pilot for UPS for many years. He he had, you know, 10,000 hours logged wow. by the, when he was in our band. So super young, you know, very uh, talented pilot, could fly anything. And uh, so he, he was in the band, cut the first record with Sony. Uh, cut the second one with us, and then they, he and his wife moved to Connecticut, and he. Um, so what? What at some point he said, "I'm tired of making all this money. I want to rather play drums." And <laughs> yeah, basically. So, and it was kind of like I, um, when we moved, made the move to MCA. MCA wanted to focus on the vocal, the front three vocals. Yeah, and so. They signed the three of us because that's when you see one of your either all or one. I think one of your albums has this three guys on it. Yeah, is that one of the early ones? And then you started started incorporating. No, that was changed. So the uh, so we were five piece, and then we became a six piece, added a utility player, and then uh, but when we changed labels, they wanted to focus on the I front see, three yeah. guys. Six was too many to so, put yeah. on. And at that point, um, Brian um, moved to Connecticut and and uh, got a gig with uh jet blue and he's been flying with for jet blue since, oh, cool. since then and, and yeah and now he's now he's moved he's living back in nashville and and uh doing quite well he's he owns like 20 rent houses and wow, <laughs> he's just cool. killing it i'll tell you another pilot story 
um, Sawyer Brown's guitar player from years ago, Duncan Cameron, who yeah. was a session guy. He played on the first um, Canyon album. Oh, wow. He was a guitar player on the first Canyon record. Yeah. Um, and that's when I met him. And then he got the gig with Sawyer Brown because they were recording down in Muscle Shoals as the same studio, and I believe with the same producer too, Ron Chancy, oh, wow. yeah. as us. And so um, then, of course, Ron Chancy was producing uh, Sawyer Brown and Duncan Cameron. I think they just offered it to him. They just said, "Hey, we really like the way you play. Why don't you, would you join oh, our wow. band?" And uh, what was his name? Randall something something Randall, the guitar player they used to have that went on to be the host for that show. That talent show, that Nashville, you can be a star, or whatever. Oh, yeah. He was a host for some show. He quit the band, and then they got Duncan to take his place. Anyway, so years later, Duncan was with him forever, and now he flies for Southwest. He's a oh, wow. Southwest pilot, <laughs> Duncan Cameron. Golly. So yeah, we and then we had uh, Rob Steidler, who is now out with uh, uh, Larry Gatton, Gatlin. Oh, cool. So he's been with Larry since he since we disbanded. So what was it about in that band, since you, this is a good question, since you did go through a lot of drummers when you were considering somebody, what was it that you, was it kind of an audition type thing, or did you go by, they had to have a name, like somebody that you'd heard of or somebody worked with before? No, I, it was all about uh, consistency, uh, just a, a nice pocket. Uh, that, that was the whole thing to me, it was just having a, a great pocket to play yeah. to. Uh, it wasn't really interested in flashiness uh it was just it was just all about the yeah. just laying down the groove you just know? the meat and potatoes yeah 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 that always makes a good drummer i mean you know it's good to have flash and good to have chops and stuff like that but if yeah like you know like um uh, a lot of the big drummers you know say you know if you can't lay down that pocket if you, can't, you don't know where that backbeat is yeah then it's no good you gotta yeah. have that first and yeah and and there's there were times that i wish uh, our drummers were flashier once I started getting into the showbiz side of oh, it. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. You know, here I am just kind of like a, uh, you know, acoustic singer-songwriter, you know. With a bunch of guys hanging out behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> loitering, loitering, loitering on stage. Well, cool. So um, you guys uh, were a band, and then you were you had a little bit of success playing around in clubs and things like that. Yeah. And then, um, so I want to talk about the time that you got signed, and they offered you a solo deal they were like we don't want to sign the whole band we just want we would offer you drew womack like a single deal yeah um and you refused yeah well i mean then that's the only way they would sign the deal but yeah. i begged basically not only here's the crazy part not only to keep it a band name but keep it sons of the desert yeah and also everybody play on the record yeah only Right, and then we brought in one guy to play acoustic while I sang. So, wow! But that, that's a that's that a huge, that's a tall then. order back yeah. then. I mean, because for a label to just go along with that, usually yeah. it's not that way at all, especially for somebody new. Now, if an artist is established, like I know Tim McGraw, after he'd made some success and had a few records, he he asked if he could use his road guys yeah. to play on the record, and what he called making an honest record. You know, in other words this is my band and this is like us the way we sound like Huey Lewis in the news, you know, yeah. like it's the, the guys you see on stage or the guys you hear on the record. Right. But that was after he was already established, but for yeah, you guys sure. to be brand new and I, I couldn't believe it. I, it was just, uh, you know, sheer stupidity to, for me to think that I could ha accomplish that, but it, it worked out, you know, and, and then we had some, a couple of hits and, and, uh, and then had a falling out with Sony and then moved over yeah. to MCA and then, uh, cut a record with Tony Brown and, and, uh, uh, and it was just another, we never thought Tony Brown would ever leave MCA. 
Right. You know, because he just won label of the decade. He was on fire. He was, you know, just it was Reva, George Strait, all these uh, Vince Gill, all these artists that he brought onto that label, and just they're all superstars. And then we get there, and and that's the reason we signed with MCA. We had a couple of uh, other offers, and and uh, and I, we said Tony's not going anywhere, and we cut that first record, and sure enough. <laughs> Is that the one that took over a year to make and all that? No, no, no. That, that was the first Sony record. Oh, but, I see. Yeah, so. But well, I think that says a lot about you. First of all, that that they offered you, they said, listen, kind of pulled you to the side, said, listen, we don't want to sign a band thing. We're not interested in the band. We just are interested in you only. Most guys would say, okay, see you guys. I've got a deal. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go with this. But you fought for it, and you said, no, I'm, I'm loyal to these guys. These are my brothers. And it's going to have to be a band deal. And and another thing I was going to say that it speaks highly of you is that they probably, I'm guessing, believed in your voice so much, your your voice, your vocal, your you know mm-hmm. the way you sing and everything, quality of your voice, that they were willing to take a chance on all that stuff. It's like, yeah. well, if it's got his voice on it, it's going to sound great. Well, mm-hmm. I was, uh, like I said, I'm not really sure how I pulled it off or what they were thinking, but uh, I'm just happy they did. But uh, And you kind of reluctantly, you were the band leader because you signed yeah. the deal and all that, but you were, from what you were saying a few months ago, we were talking about it, and you said that you were sort of reluctantly, they would come to you and say, okay, leader, what do we do? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was probably our biggest downfall was me treating it so much like a democracy. Right. And I should have pushed uh, and and gone with my gut on some of the decisions yeah. that I that I let everybody have a voice, and you know it's I mean that kind of sounds weird, but I, I there there were a few things that should have been done that um, that uh, didn't happen. Would that have made a difference in the outcome, like where you guys would be today, kind of thing, or or uh, maybe maybe not. You know, it's I think it's kind of weird, but. Because country radio kind of makes up their minds pretty yeah. early on, uh, if uh, if they're going to let somebody through support, a, yeah. A, a, a and we had some love uh, at the very beginning for sure, and then and then it just kind of there were pockets that had that played it in he- every one of our singles in heavy, uh, yeah. you know. And when you so say we, pockets, you mean like areas, yeah, of the nation, yeah, that, yeah. yeah pockets like. Uh, uh, like DC was one of them. Mid Ohio uh, or yeah. East Coast or something like yeah. that. Yeah, West Coast did us uh, really good, and then of course Nashville. Uh, all three stations played us in heavy, just about every every single. It was so weird. So everybody in Nashville thought we were this huge band. But we... And what's <laughs> odd to me is you said that you, you guys. Which album was it that took over a year to make, or a co- close it, to a year to it make? It was uh, self-titled. The first one, Sons right? Sons of the Desert, yeah. And that's odd because usually, well, first of all, usually when they sign a, a band, they just want to sign kind of a developmental deal. They just want to record like three songs maybe and then see if it sticks, throw it out to radio and see if it sticks, see if they like it. If they do, yeah. then they may go in and cut some more. But for you guys, first of all, to be able to do a whole album, that's that's awesome. Yeah. And second of all, let you play on your own record, that's awesome. That's unheard of. Like, wow, really? And then... Third of all, to let you take up to a year to make it, usually they want it done in like a like less than a month. Yeah, that's with vocals, with the tracks and the vocals and mixing and everything. It's like let's get this record out. We want to man and see a return on our money. Yeah, we were like I said, we were we were kids and and uh, you know we were catering every night and it was just like wow, this is so cool Bill to label to do this. <laughs> Bill Sony, that's what I kept saying. Didn't know that it was all on you know. It's just a loan. Wow. Yeah, I can so imagine I, the secretary going, sir, we keep on getting all these bills from Sons of the Desert <laughs> in the studio for caviar, and I don't understand. Just, yeah. just let them do it. Let I, them do it. Yeah. I, we spent 300 
thousand dollars on that first record easy which is just ridiculous uh you know and it it didn't have to happen they just kept trying to polish it to sound make it sound like studio players and it's like dude every time they would come at me like with that i would always go kentucky headhunters period (laughs) Right. right what about them i was just they cut their own music right it was rough around the edges it was cool yeah you know it it's not rocket science yeah right we're just playing music here yeah you know let us I think that labels sound. do tend to over analyze oh, things and over, you know, because, and especially when uh, there's a slump in sales, then they start questioning. They start saying, well, is it too progressive? Is it the lyrics? Is it the, the mix wrong? Or are we, you know, <laughs> they want to, they want to solve the problem. Yeah. And they, you know. Well, with te- technology and where it's gone, so like that you could have a studio at your house and cut yeah. drums for anybody in, in the world. Um, <clears throat> the fact that we can go, uh, that's kind of taken the power out of the hands of labels. And, right. you know, 10 years, I doubt there will be labels in, in the what, where they are yeah, now. Yeah, I think the, groups will the, set up their own yeah. accounts, their YouTube and their Instagram yes. and their TikTok and stuff, and they'll just supply stuff there. They'll get a billion streams. Yeah. And, it, and it's good, too, that, that it will be a true testament to whether the music is any good or not because it, put it in the hands of the people, they will, t- the kids, the people, we'll they dictate, have the keys. Yeah. Yeah. They have the keys right now. They're the ones that are going to say, we like this music. This is yep. what we want to hear. And that's, that's where we're at now. So it's, and it's, they're trying to figure out their biz, business platform. These labels are just trying to figure yeah. out how, why, why and how they matter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> some, some folks want to, will take a uh, check for whatever, you know, in advance, and that's how they're getting these uh, these artists still. Because yeah. In, anymore. The old model of like yeah, you being can, plugged into radio yeah. and all that stuff. And yeah. 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 So. Wow. So okay. So Sons of the Desert, you guys. Um, I wanted to talk about how you got the thing with Leanne Womack, like how that whole opportunity. Because oh, cool. I know that those of you who may not know, Drew Womack and Sons of the Desert, uh, they got to sing background vocals for Leanne Womack. Said, "I hope you dance." And you sing that every night in the show, which is really cool because yeah. I get to leave the stage and go take a break, which I've never done <laughs> in my whole career. Got to leave the stage. Usually i doing a solo or something and everybody else leaves the stage. Right. But anyway, um, so you do that as a kind of an homage to let people know that we were on this yeah, part yeah, of this huge hit. It was, a, it was a, yeah, it was just a magical. Oh, and no relation, too. No relation. Well, I mean, we end. could be distant cousins. She's from East Texas, a little town yeah. called Jacksonville. And uh, I have a lot of Walmack side of my family in, in Tyler. But so... We met, we launched at the same exact time. So Leanne's first record and our first record came out at the same time. And her bio to, spoke about uh, her ex-husband was in the business. He's a singer-songwriter. Uh, and he's, you know, coming out with a record at the same time. And who's Jason Sellers. And, okay. You know, but everybody thought I was her ex-husband because oh, I see, they were reading. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so anyway... Um, for the first 10 or 12, uh, interviews with radio stations, they're just reading our bio. That's all, you know, they don't know anything about us. And they're, oh, God, it looks like you had an old RV, blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and then they'd go, um, well, tell me how, what it was like to be married to Leanne Womack. And, and at the first dozen, I would, I just yeah. said, no, I don't, I don't know why that's become a rumor, but it's not true. You know, yeah. uh, we're, we're both from Texas, but that's it. And then I just did about the 13th or 14th one. I just said, 
It was tough. It was tough being married to her. <laughs> and, I thought you were going to say that when you first went into him, you, the, you would just lay the groundwork and say, first of all, just to let you know, I never was married to a Liam right. so don't even ask. No, I, so I just went with it after that. It was just like, yeah, okay. But anyway, we, we ended up doing two or three uh, cruises together yeah. with Leanne and got to be good friends. Then when the Sony thing went down and – uh, it was a long story. About went down, meaning like happened, or went down like went lost down. Uh, yeah, it 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 was dying. Okay, so we we was were, on the decline. Yeah, so we cut Goodbye Earl, mm-hmm. and we were going to release it as a single. And uh, the chicks asked if they could put it on their new record. The Dixie said, Chicks, yes. Yeah. And we said, of course, you know, for the songwriters' benefit more than anything. But uh, we wanted it as a single. And they said, sure, we have no intention of having it as a single. So the label started just backing off because they had their golden egg over here and we yeah. were messing with them. And, you know, and we went in a van all the way around the United States. Wow. And played it to every radio station, played it to Buck Owens and, and, uh, and, uh, uh yeah, in California. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Bakersfield. Bakersfield, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just us and, and, and him. And then we played it on the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> anyway. Long story short, we're at we're out fishing in Tampa, and we're about to fly to Larry Wilson's ranch in Montana, from Tampa all the way. He's going to fly us there in his jet, and we're going out deep sea uh, deep sea fishing. and And I'm trying to get a hold of the head of A and R, and I said, Rob, if you guys aren't planning on releasing this as a single, we're not going to Montana, and I'll tell Larry why. And then my phone cut out because we went too far out. And then once we came back in the signal, <clears throat> there were about 50 m- messages on the phone. <laughs> and I, I, he, I called him. I didn't even listen to him. And he, he said, I'm not supposed to tell you, but we, we have no intention of releasing that as a single. And I said, I want off the label in two days. Wow. And uh, then I called Brad Schmidt, and he put in his little uh, thing in, in the Tennessean, mm-hmm. uh, Brad, about you. And oh, I, I remember that. Him, yeah, yeah, Brad Schmidt. He was a writer yeah. for the Tennessee, and yeah. Yeah, so I, we were friends, so I, I told him the whole story. He printed it. Tony Brown called me that morning. He's, he read it in the paper and, and called and, and somehow got my phone number. I was going, this isn't Tony Brown. <laughs> anyway, he came out and met with us, and then I met with a, two or three other labels. But he, he was like, I, you guys get whatever you want. I don't care. We just want you on the label. Wow. Yeah. So, Golly. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's how that all went down. That's but, an incredible and, story. And then Leanne, so Leanne was under the Universal umbrella uh, on uh, Decca, I think it was, and mm-hmm. and they were cutting that record, and she sent the song over and said, "I would love for y'all to be on this." How would you consider that your the role that you played in that song? Was it? It was more than background vocals. It was like almost like a duet in a way. Yeah, it's. Would uh, you say? Well, it's uh, it was. Funny because uh, 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 Pink brought it up and and put it best when I, it's, I know this is weird segue, but I, my wife and I were listening to Pink being interviewed and she's sitting there talking. She's going talking about her new record and we were just sitting watching. And then she said, um, "Yeah, you know uh, that Leanne Walmack song. I hope you dance when the the that vocal comes in at the end, at the 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 chant at the end makes that song. It it just brings it." Yeah, past the finish line, and the fact that it's guys singing, yeah. it's a girl lead singer, but there's guys yeah. singing in harmony, sort of. Yeah, yeah. So, and our 
our jaws dropped. It was just like, oh, my God, Pink just talked about me. Anyway. Yeah, so it was more of an event kind of thing than just background vocals. Yeah, because like yeah. most – Yeah, so – I it, remember thinking when it happened, I was thinking of, why are they singing background vocals on – someone else's record you know i know that, that they just wanted that sound you know that that vocal sound and all that yeah. but i feel like having the bgs on uh some pop songs yeah, that i've heard you know like yeah some exactly pop would BGs use the bgs did that a lot. to yeah. sing their little background vocals but this was more than that this was you were yeah. singing kind of lead yeah uh co it was a counter melody yeah. wasn't it yeah exactly yeah and we did uh we sang on uh several records uh, joe diffie ty herndon uh, uh several records the three of us would go in and sing yeah. harmonies I wonder if the reason they wanted that was, you know, when you hear I Hope You Dance, she holds that note for a long time. I hope you dance. Yeah. And it just it, it, it rings long. And they need something underneath it to yeah. kind of like something. It just sounds empty under there. What yeah. if we got someone to sing? Yeah. Did, did you have any uh, anything of writing that or was that was no. that? Someone else wrote uh, the lyrics. Tia Sillers. I know. I, I I knew it when I heard it the first time. I said, I guarantee you that's Tia Sillers on on that co-wrote that song. And, and sure it was. Enough, it sure was. Wow. It's just she's got such a unique style. But um, yeah, so we did that, and and uh, and then we ended up winning vocal collaboration, uh, song of the year, and and then it won a Grammy. And wow. So yeah, I have a show. I remember seeing you guys on the tonight. The was it Jay Leno? Leno, or something, yeah, Leno. It Leno yeah. But it was the weirdest video because, like, you, you see Leanne Womack singing and you see her band and everything, and you see it, the intro, and she starts singing and everything. I was like, well, I thought they were supposed to be on there. And then all of a sudden, they're just like the camera, there's a camera pans over to you guys. The three of us And there's there. the three of you standing there in a totally different stage off to the side somewhere. You want to know the funny thing That's about that was? The guitar player and the acoustic player for Leanne. Yeah were two of the other founding members of Sons of the Desert. Is that right? Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> like a reunion. Jim Beavers was okay. played acoustic for oh, her okay. for several years. Oh, that's cool. And, and Troy Von Hafen played electric uh, for her. It's just, that coincidence was <laughs> way beyond any... You know, because anytime we do a show with her, you know, there were so many members of Sons of the Desert in the room. That, wow. Yeah, it was just... So I remember crazy. making a joke to one of my friends about that, that you know, that... that a recording of that TV show and the way the camera just like very quickly shot over to you guys that someone's eating a sandwich and looks up and like, Oh, oh right now, are we on? Okay. Are we yeah. on? But, uh, <laughs> Waiting for a blue light to come on or Wait, something. Oh, it's now, right yeah. now you want us to sing. But anyway, so did now with sons of the desert with, the, uh, the, you know, early success with the first record deal and all that. The second, did you, uh, were you like a writer, a primary writer or a, some wrote some to all those songs were I wrote the most outside of, songs. I, no, I wrote most of our You wrote most of the stuff on, yeah. on the four records we cut. Like Change and Well I didn't write that one. Uh, uh but I uh but I had I had seven of the eleven on that record. Yeah. So. And now did you just take Sony songs? Were they Sony? Because I remember No, no, we take whatever Sony we was found. big about having their own writers and yeah, yeah. trying to, you know, no, make we, sure that they have Sony songs on an album. Yeah. No, we didn't do that. I mean, we were pitched a lot from from yeah. Sony, but we we went outside and and you know I just dug into my favorite writers and, and cool. asked them personally. So yeah, I was lucky. You know, a young kid comes to town. I had a record deal with a major label, and I was able to write with some of my heroes. And it's just like I I knew then, and I know now how fortunate I was to learn from the greats. Mm. And uh, I'll never never forget that. It's just it's the greatest way. <laughs> it's like wow. literally the first 
day we were in Nashville, we were yeah. offered the record deal. I'd wow. never stepped foot in Nashville before. In my like life. I said, that says a lot about your vocal ability and your just your I, presence. You, and know? you know what? It has a lot to do with luck, brother. <laughs> you know, <laughs> luck, I know that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's just it's so it's so crazy. It does take a lot of luck. Yeah. I mean, it really does. I mean, we just were at the right place at the right time. You know, they were looking for a band. Yeah, there we were. There yeah. we were, and you know, it, they were signing everybody out of that circuit. Yeah, you guys, uh, uh, Toby Keith, uh, gosh, Jim Collins had a deal. Uh, yeah, another uh, Texan, Ty Herndon, right? yeah. all, all these guys. Yeah, uh, they were all in that Texas circuit. Yeah, so that's how it happened. So you guys went on. Uh, now, what um, happened with the the band is m- moving along, and you had this huge peak with the, you know Leon Rhymes and I mean I mean sorry Liam Womack, I right? Leon Rhymes, um, uh, and then when did things start to kind of where you weren't working that much or where it started to disband or whatever. after Tony Brown left MCA and the new guy came in, he, we had just released Change. uh, And we had already started cutting the the next record. And and, uh, they just started, the new guy just kind of, he already had it laid out to where he was going to get rid of everybody the new got the label except yeah except all the big names and uh so but we were cutting our new record and uh under budget well actually we didn't have a budget we had a fund so if we only spent 150,000 of 400 grand we'd keep the rest of it so uh mm-hmm. so we were doing a really good job of that i had a studio by that time our producer had a studio in his house and and we finished it they claim we didn't finish it they uh so it, it was a two guaranteed two album it was the perfect record deal yeah but they uh said we didn't finish it they paid the producers their back end okay as if they turned the record in. Oh, okay so huh. i was going we did finish it you paid the producers i can i have proof i'm suing you so uh it, our manager at the time uh, the label didn't know we changed managers mm-hmm. and he was playing golf with luke Lewis, who was the head of MCA at the mm-hmm. time, and they were talking, and he—that's he, when he mentioned that he was going to get rid of everybody. And while he was teeing off, he called yeah. our point person, and said, "Get the boys' lawyer up." <laughs> oh no! So yeah, we mediated all the stuff, and they said we didn't have any hits on the record, so we had to release all the songs. Basically, let other people cut them. Release them, point. meaning like yeah, let go of them. Let right. go of them, yeah. even though we had cut them. They're in the can. They're ready to go. And wow. by the time we settled with a mediator there were four songs that were number ones that wow. other people cut Jeez. that wow. were on our record uh raining on sunday um that you wrote n- no oh no okay. these were just outside cuts that we had to uh, yeah. you know uh, rain on sunday red rag top uh, god bless the broken road and oh gosh i always forget yeah. the fourth one anyway yeah it was just so that was a hard we had, time. yeah, but we had proof that not only did you, did we finish the record, you paid the back end to the producers. We also had hits on the record. So it was kind of like them just looking for an excuse to yeah. let you well, guys go. Because right, it was a it was a perfect record deal. Mm-hmm. You know, not a ten album deal. It was a two album deal. So with the with the option to pick up more records, but yeah, and that must have been a strange feeling for you because what, there was all this love before, and all oh, of a sudden God. now they're saying we don't, you know, it's not. It's not so happening. at that point, I said I'm I'm out of here because they they basically uh, took it federal to which they could drag it out for yeah. eight years, and so I had to I had to find work, 
you know. So I yeah. I moved back to Texas at that point with a. But with you couldn't keep touring or, or whatever as a band. One year old. No, they. It's so. The agency, our booking agency, and MCA were in cahoots with oh, each other. Oh, okay. So all our dates started disappearing because we were showing that this is there what was you a need. conflict of interest there, yeah, and you had yeah. to pay us this much because these are you know, and it, it was like. The less money we were making and dates were just going away, it was like, what happened? It's like they were working together because that's how Nashville is. I remember talking to Scott Saunders right about then. I think it was right around that, a little after that maybe. And I asked him how it was going, and he said, yeah, we're doing this kind of big band thing. Him and his wife or something, we're doing a big band thing. And I'm like, not with Sons of the Desert? He said, no, no, we're doing this other thing. And Yeah, so I I was surprised. I, I cut a solo record before I left and moved back and just hit the road. Cut a solo record on your own with on your own time or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just went into sound shop and cut it, and Mark Caps and I produced it. And then I uh, literally just, you know, I had a one year old and yeah. and uh, moved every all of us back to uh, to right where I moved from. Yeah, nine years after after I moved there. So a nine know. year ride, and now you're back to yeah. And then I was. I was doing a solo thing all over Texas. And were you happy to do that? Were you, was it a happy feeling to sort of be out of all that madness? You know what? It's kind of weird because you have all, you know, you have a, a, a crew, you know, a tour bus, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you're back and you're starting over. And even it was almost like a, a crutch for me to have gone to Nashville and had some success. Yeah. And then coming back and it's like, well, you can't just come back to Texas and be red dirt. I'm going, yeah. dude, I was red dirt before you <laughs> even born. You know, the, yeah. this red dirt thing is not new. It's been going yeah. on for a long time. Matter of fact, the reason I got into country music was the, the eighties country rock. Yeah. You know, desert Rose band, the uh, Foster and Lloyd, and they yeah. were all from that area. Yeah. It's just uh, Kevin Welch. That was the fir- first, I mean, well, you have Willie and Waylon, that right, that yeah. group, uh, but but as far as Red Dirt, the whole focus in on the sound of that area is Austin kind of like the center ground, the the epicenter for a lot of that Red Dirt stuff. No, it's uh, Austin's more of a Americana okay. scene. The Red Dirt thing is San Marcos. Uh, it's down I south, gotcha. south, south of southern. Yeah, yeah okay. it's it's on the river uh, down there, uh, and it's just all of them live down there. All yeah. the artists. <laughs> <laughs> they all just kind of congregate but yeah there's some great stuff wow. and there's there's a lot of it's not that great but there's there's some really good stuff wow that is amazing so you uh then i think after a while you started teaching songwriting at the college there yeah in austin or well i was uh, so i was doing this little thing then i started doing background vocals for all these artists and then i started writing songs with them and having hits on the texas charts wow. and but, one of them was kenny chesney well, that was way, way before. Oh, well, that was way yeah. before. Yeah, this is uh, the Texas charts. It'd, it'd be like Aaron Watson and, and Pat Green and Corey Morrow and those guys. But so, uh, but the the background singing is what kept me afloat more than anything because yeah. I was singing everybody's record down there. And and monetarily, you were still getting you know mailbox money. From, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. From uh, yeah, from she's all, got it all. All the sun, all the sun songs. Sun and, songs. Yeah. yeah, and then I you know I had a f- few. Uh, other cuts that did all right so and it must have been nice to you have a one-year-old and to be able to spend a little bit more time with your oh yeah so that was it and that was the cool thing i never missed the other way you would have been on the road you would have missed i never missed a a t-ball game or i never missed anything never a birthday nothing i I was there 18 years 
He's a he's a 20 year old co- college student now, and then that's where we come to the whole idea. Do you still that, go to his t-ball games? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he ever. I he was not an athlete, still is not. But uh, the funny thing is, is that I that was the, my main goal is that everybody in the band knew that once we had kids, that I would find a reason to come off the road. Right. Period. Yeah. You didn't need a reason. You yeah. were, it was all happening yeah. anyway. Yeah. But and, but I knew I was going to move back and and just I wanted to raise him around his family, his grandparents, his great grandparents. And so we get back to Texas and do the thing. I'm I'm working. I've I've got this little niche in Texas. I'm still you know setting up my own equipment. It's crazy. We have a freeze down in Austin that wipes out everything. It's two week freeze. It's the worst uh, in Austin weather. Wow. And it was right after COVID. So it was like just a bam, 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 you know, just everything knocking us down and just, it was all just crap. And then, so we, my wife and I just get out on the water and we're, we're just making sure our, our little boat still worked because, yeah. you know, and I'm trying to catch fish uh, and we're all just, just, you know, it, the, the whole world is just seems like it's just falling apart because of, you know, how COVID went Some through COVID and, thing, then, yeah. and then the heat and then the freeze that just, uh, anyway, so I'm out there, I'm not catching fish, I'm pissed off. I sit back and I look at Instagram, and I do not do uh, social media that yeah, much at right. all. But I look at Instagram and I see that Michael Britt just posted something. I haven't talked to Michael Britt in 10 years. And I went, I bought a Kemper amp mm-hmm. years ago, and I've never done anything other than put it on AC30 and yeah, right. reverb. And that's okay, it. Right. This box that does and everything. For those that don't know, Michael Britt is like Mr. Kemper. He has taken the Kemper, which is a guitar amp modeler it basically uh makes the sound of an amp it copies the sound of an amp where you can just plug your guitar into it and it sounds like any amp so michael Britt, he he profiles all these amps and sells these packs that you can load up into your kemper digitally and then you can sound like yeah. michael Britt. yeah or whoever it, yeah he's just he's he's the guru he's the best at it anyway i asked him a question about the kemper amp i said man i need help with this thing i Ed, can you help me out he said yeah i'm about to go into a meeting uh, we're going to talk about the new tour coming up and coming out of COVID. And uh, we got uh, everything. I said, man, that's awesome. And then right, he, then we signed off. And I said, hey, is it the original lineup again? He said, yeah. And then he goes into Five the meeting. Five seconds later, nope. <laughs> he goes into the meeting. He comes back out of the meeting. And uh, we're still on the boat. And he, and he goes, do you have ESP? And I said, is that a setting on the amplifier? <laughs> And he said, he said, Rich, you just quit again. And I said, oh, my God. And my, and my wife, Tara, looked it up right away and said, man, they have dates like three weeks from now. Yeah. And I said, and then I said, I can I can help you guys out and fill in or whatever you need. And, and uh, Lord knows I know most of the songs. And and, uh, and then I looked at her and went, hey, wait, why couldn't I do this? <laughs> Max is in college. I can do this. You know, yeah. I have, I have no obligations to any labels. I, I am my own artist, so I can yeah. schedule or cancel, you know, uh, c- contractually I only had one uh, thing that conflicted where I had to pay them back a balance. Oh, I, I remember a, that. A, a yeah, deposit. Yeah. But yeah, just where it was so seamless, the whole thing. And, and I said, and I, I told Brett, um, cause he kept hinting about, Hey, how, do, how much you, how do you feel about singing amazed for the rest of your life? <laughs> <I was> going, <laughs> I said, man, You're like, I, never I wouldn't even have to move to it. Nashville. Why? Because yeah. it's worked out so far. Really yeah, good, no, I, and, and we plan on moving to Nashville sooner or later. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I think so. We'll probably move back, uh, at least get a place there. But uh, so 
yeah, so it, it uh, and I just said, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm going to record, you, you guys pick out two songs and I'll go learn them and record them in my studio. And my wife was in there uh, in my studio having happy hour with her girls on uh, okay. Zoom. Okay, okay. So, and I was going, God. So I, I worked them up and I just got my phone and, and recorded them. I remember hearing those, yeah. Yeah, that's what y'all heard. So Wow. And it was just like, it, it was very mid- seamless. It was, yeah. it was the most God given, just the weirdest. It wasn't a coincidence, I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Because yeah. I, I literally had serendipity, talked to my, right? It just happened. Yeah. 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 It was just more than serendipity because it was just like it, it was meant to be. In yeah. A way, you know? Yeah. Because it's. It, and I remember thinking about when we first started talking to you about doing it, thinking like, you know, Drew, we've known Drew for so long. And he was, as I like to say, we spilled the same blood and the same mud. Um, we came up with the same clubs and playing the same places. We all knew each other. You could have so easily have been I know. the original lead singer, so and now weird. you are. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. That's, and, and the other thing was the first time Richie left was uh, that period of time where I was moving back to Texas. Yeah, right. So I was solo then, but I was out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Yeah. But anyway – it, it's it's just been a blast so we're guys yeah it's been working out so great yeah. I mean we just love having you out on the road you're, you're such a great guy to hang out with and great singer and a great addition to the band and even live on stage you're having fun we're yeah. having fun well that's like I said I've always been a band guy and it, it was, it's just always to me it's uh, it's the camaraderie that keeps the dream alive if yeah, you totally. will <laughs> and once you get a one wheel then you know it'll be complete it'll I can't wait to get deal. a one wheel but just get a one wheel. I have to get all the guards and, and a face shield and a, some shoulder pads oh the guys would be so mad at me if you got hurt if you went out there and rode the one wheel and i won't ride i won't ride on the street until i feel like right. i won't take it myself. slow okay yeah. promise me yeah <laughs> i'll be riding in a football field for about two years getting used to it so oh man well <laughs> i can tell you uh all the lone star fans out there um that we from a band standpoint we will keep playing as long as we possibly physically can there's no signs of any of this going away. We're just like the best we've ever been. And this is probably the busiest year we've ever had. We've had in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like maybe even when in our heyday, like we yeah. still worked a lot, but this has been, this is crazy. Once this has COVID been, the, this is will gone, be the most successful year in the last 16 years of love. That's right. Yeah. 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 Pretty, I totally agree. awesome. Well, man, awesome. well, thanks for stopping Dude, by here and you know talking it, to man. me. Anytime. We'll see you in a couple of minutes uh, <laughs> on stage. <laughs> Got to get through the shower. Yeah, oh, we're man. in Great Falls, Montana, right now, and yeah. uh, it just sold out show. Here, so yeah, that's sold out show. Yeah, that's I, right. I thought that's I heard, heard rain behind me. Yeah, I saw Dean out there running. Uh, I was looking at my hotel room here. I saw Dean doing his sprinting out in the parking lot. Sprint up, walk back. Sprint up, walk back, and then all of a sudden I saw it was raining. So I thought, okay, <laughs> he's got to be done. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll anyway, take care we're gonna him. go do our show, and uh, we will. Um, See you next time on Designated Drummer. I will. I don't know if you... you, you I'll be around. Know, you'll, you'll be around. I'll, I'll stick my head in. I would love to do uh, one episode with the whole band, with everybody. Michael, you, Dean, that'd me. That'd be a good idea. And I'll just kind of like pick on each other and stuff. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be fun if we could okay. keep Dean from talking the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not going to edit that out. Yeah. Okay. Well, signing off. See Thanks ya. Thanks again, Keith. See ya.